Good to see you all today. I'm so glad to see you. And uh, there's a sense of spring in the air, there's a sense of Easter in the air, and it's always fun. And uh, this time of year to think about the uh, newness of life. And, um, well, um, I want to talk to you today. We've been talking about this issue of heaven. And I want to talk to you today about heaven. It's good and it's worth conserving. Last week, we mentioned about how that heaven is something, is a concept or is a, is a truth that is not just for the future sometime, but it's something that we must focus on presently. That if we don't focus on heaven presently, we won't get there in the future. That we have to remember heaven really uh, consistently uh, in our life. Uh, if not every day, pretty much every day. That we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says the reason why we're following the Lord Jesus Christ is so we can get to heaven. That's what he says. That's why we're getting, that's why we're following Jesus. If there's no heaven, we're wasting our time. That's what Paul tells us. So heaven is, is, is good. And we want to talk about what is good these days and why it's worth conserving. I want to uh, remind us last week, I uh, mentioned something that uh, I think the Lord is directing us to do uh, for the next uh, several weeks here until May. We're going to be praying a simple prayer every day, a simple little prayer, just simply this, Lord, use Mount Hope for your glory. Every day, just simply say, you might want to pray it several times a day, but as the Lord brings it to your memory, you know, your mind, just Lord, use Mount Hope for your glory. Show us what we need to do. Show us, Lord, how to discern this culture, how to understand this crazy culture of ours, which has changed so much right now, particularly in the last two years. Show us, Lord, how we can minister for you in this, in this day and age. You know, how that we, we know that things have changed where uh, churches are not growing in our country anymore. And so, therefore, what can we do to still spread the gospel, to still reach people? who won't necessarily feel good about coming to a gathering, uh, coming to a church building. Um, Anyway, Lord, um, use Mount Hope for your glory. And of course, when we pray that, don't be surprised if he doesn't start using you. (laughs) Start doing something in your life, because that's, of course, that's how he's going to use us. Amen. Heaven is good and worth conserve, uh, con- conserving. I, I took our lesson today, and this is a, this is a, a text of it, uh, a portion of it today that we're going to be speaking about in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. And then I saw, John said, a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> so he sees a, he's seeing some new skies, and he's seen a whole brand new earth because the previous one has been destroyed. God has burned it up. He's burned up the skies. He's burned up this planet, Peter says. Remember, First Peter, he says he's going to melt it with, or Second Peter, excuse me, going to melt it with fervent heat. And then he's going to make a new one, some new skies and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. We're going to get to that eventually because that's really an amazing concept. And you think that the new Jerusalem is us. It's you and me. It's those who believe in Jesus. Those who love Jesus. The new Jerusalem, that city. We, we are God's habitation. He, he dwells in, a, in us like he dwells in a city. Interesting, isn't it? And John says, I heard, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. 
He will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and it's true. Amazing. That's what we got to look forward to. That is, uh, that's going to be in that heavens to come, that heaven to come. I recall the day when I was a young boy, uh, nine or ten. I'm not sure the age, but I still remember the day. I remember asking my father about this. I asked my dad to explain to me about politics. This had to be somewhere like around 1967, 68. And because I had frequently, heur- frequently heard adults talking about politics, using words like Democrat, Republican, and, and I didn't really understand what those words meant. I just, you know, listening to adults talk about it. So I decided to ask my dad. I asked him, I said, Dad, what, what is all this? And he threw a couple more words at me that even confused me more. He, he, he said, liberal and conservative. I thought, oh, brother, that doesn't help a nine, a nine or ten-year-old kid, you know. But, but um, he, he threw those words at me, too. And um, he explained to me that these were ways of thinking. That's what he told me. These were ways of thinking and that uh, he wasn't so much a Democrat or a Republican as much as he was a conservative. Now, this is my father teaching me this when I was pretty young. He said, I, he's not, not so much, it was not so much, the party's not that important. It's just, who is promoting the principles of conservatism? <laughs> um, I didn't know what that meant either. But for him, he saw the principles of conservatism. Again, not, he's not talking about republicanism. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about parties at all. He was talking about a, a principle um, the principles of conservatism as lining up with the godly principles of Scripture. Now, this isn't a political sermon. It's not, don't, so don't get lost here. Don't, don't, don't put up a, you know, a wall and say, oh, he's getting political. Now, I'm not talking about that. The, the conservative principles, they, my dad saw it as lining up with the godly principles of the, of the Scriptures. Again, I'm stepping away from political parties now. I'm not talking about those at all. Uh, they have no part in this message at all, okay? And I'm simply talking about the principles of conservatism because they are important in talking about heaven. They're important. Hmm. Talking about heaven. I, I would say that whatever your political party as, is as a Christian no matter what it is, as a Christian, you must first hold to conservative principles or you are going to lose everything dear that God says is good. Now again, no matter what political party you belong to, if you do not hold the principles of conservatism, you're going to lose everything dear that God says is good. Remember last Sunday I mentioned how important it is in this day that we be like the men of Issachar. The men of Issachar in Second Chronicles there, how 
they understood the times and they knew how to act. They knew how to react. They knew how to think because they, they discerned the times. They discerned the, the, the powers around them, the attitudes that were happening in the culture around them. We talked about that last week um, and how it, it, the, it's changing fast in our day. The beast system is becoming bolder, really, in telling God to stuff it, <laughs> really. That's basically what you hear all the time. Telling God just to stuff it. We, we don't want to hear anything about you. Um, the beast, matter of fact, I looked up an article. I thought, I couldn't remember when this exactly happened, but it was back in 2019. The beast system had been putting so much pressure on Chick-fil-A, for example, to cave into their uh, conservative demand, to cave into their conservative principles that finally Chick-fil-A gave up and they did cave in to, uh, to some of the demands of the beast system. But, we as a church desperately need uh, God to make us wise and living righteously, loved ones, in this increasingly pagan culture and how to minister in it for the glory of Jesus. We really need his help. How to minister for, in this culture for the glory of Jesus. We, we really do need, Lord, <laughs> Lord, use Mount Hope for your glory. We, we need to make that our hearts cry. Use us for your glory. We don't, we're like babies. We don't know what we're doing here in this, in this culture of ours. We, you know, Lord, use us for your glory. A society, you know, begins to crumble uh, from within when it declares evil. What God has declared is good. Think about that. We begin to crumble when we declare what's, we declare evil, what God has declared is good. And when a culture declares good, what God has declared is evil. And loved ones, we are seeing that more and more of what, of, um, of what God has revealed as good being chipped away from the foundation of our nation. And it rests on his word. If it doesn't rest on his word, it's going to be built on just simply sand. And that's what's being put in, the, in its place of these godly principles of conservatism. It's being replaced. And uh, you know what happens to a sandy foundation. Jesus said what? It falls flat. You can't survive when you start calling what God says is good, when you start calling it evil, you can't survive. You're going to fall flat. God revealed, for example, let me give you some examples. He's revealed financial principles of true wealth and, and what debt is. And our government has just totally gone backwards on that. Now we promote the fake wealth system of numbers between banks. Banks are just exchanging numbers back and forth. There's no true wealth going on here. Um, you know, it's not based on a, the, the gold standard anymore. It's just a system of numbers. I don't know how the system even is, is still floating. In fact, a lot of experts are saying, I don't know how we even are existing because there's really no true wealth here happening. And our debt now has exceeded $30 trillion. It'll never be paid. No way can the United States pay its national debt. $30 trillion. I can't even, I can't even imagine a trillion dollars. But that's because we have, we have said God, we're not going to follow the principles that our founding fathers said we should be following when it comes to issues of finance and economy. Another one, like for instance, God declared us that he made us unique. He made us in his image. The beast declares that we evolved by chance over millions of years and are no more special than any other form of life. 
God declared that he has given us certain rights as those made in his image. The beast declares such ideas evolved from the community of humankind, not mankind, because that's no longer a right word to say. It's humankind, not mankind. And, uh, uh, you know, over eons, that these ideas of liberty just popped up in our brains, that they evolved through man's own thinking. God gave us marriage, marriage between a man and a woman. The beast declares marriage can be now between the, the same-sex same couples. God gave us the sacredness of life, and the beast declares the right of abortion and ignorance of what actually constitutes a, a, a human baby. That's, that's, uh, that's our dilemma there. God declares he created two genders, male and female, and the beast declares, no, there are many genders. You see what I mean? God's good has become evil in our culture's eyes. God's good has become evil in our culture's eyes. Loved ones, I was recently chatting with two of my Christian, two dear Christian relatives. <laughs> and uh, I love them so dearly. And they, they, they watch TV and they watch the news frequently, I think. But they had no idea what the terms woke and social justice even mean. I just almost like I was, I hope I didn't shock them too much. Like I like, oh, uh, you, you don't know what's going on in, in your own school systems and don't know what's going on. Don't you hear these terms? Don't you know what's going on in the corporations of America? I tried to hide my shock. <laughs> and this is what I mean when I say, Lord, make us like the leaders of Issachar. We have to know what's going on around us. We have to know the ungodly principles that are being built up all around us, hedged up around us. We need to know before it's too late. We need to know. We know I mean, we don't want to feel ashamed, do we? Before the Lord, when we didn't even know the environment we were trying to enlighten with his truth. You know, have you ever felt ashamed when you were caught unprepared? That I should be prepared, and I'm not, and, and now I feel embarrassed and ashamed. I don't, we don't want to feel ashamed before the Lord that we are ignorant of what's happening around us. Lord, use Mount Hope for your glory. That's, that helps us. When we pray, God will give us light. He'll give us understanding. See, it, he's, he's the giver of light. He's the giver of truth. He, open, he makes complicated things simple for us. Lord, use Mount Hope for your glory. Amen? Amen. Have you ever wondered what it, what it means when something is good? You know, heaven is good. It's good, and it's worth conserving. God says what is good. Our culture says, no, what God says is good is evil. <laughs> and what God says is evil, we say is good. But have you ever wondered really what it means when something is good? There's... Uh, there's a, an account of Jesus where he, in Matthew chapter 19, actually this is, you can find this account in all three, in three of the Gospels, Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. But it's the account where uh, there's a, um, a young man, he's very wealthy, and he's probably the ruler of one of the synagogues, and he is really focused on, he's uh, very sincere, he's focused on uh, following the rules, um, he's going to... Um, uh, he, he wants to, he wants to uh, live for God. Uh, and again, he comes to Jesus and he says this. And again, this is a, 
in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this all, it's all recorded the exact same way. He says this. I mean, Matthew says, Now behold, one came and said to him, that is Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may, may have eternal life? And then Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. God. That, I got to tell you, that verse has always fascinated me and puzzled me at the same time. <laughs> I mean, a guy's trying to compliment Jesus. He says, good teacher. And Jesus, and Jesus kind of stops and says, what? Now, you need to just, uh, <laughs> um, you know, Jesus kind of stops. He, 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 he's going to show him, first of all, that salvation that he's talking about, this eternal life he's talking about, it's more than just following the rules, because he's saying, I followed all the rules. He's saying it's more than just following the rules. Jesus is going to show him that being saved involves a full commitment to loving God more than anything else in your life, whether it be people or whether it be things, and the things that he loved was money, and Jesus was trying to show him it's, it's more than just following rules. It's loving God with all your heart more than you love your money. Wow. <laughs> anyway, that's what Jesus was trying to get. That's what he was going to teach him. But this first part where he greets Jesus, his first, in Jesus' response is that, you know, Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because there's only one who is good, and that's God. I think Jesus is saying this. He's saying, young man, you need to be careful with your words. You call me good, but what do you know about goodness? Uh, do you realize that only God is good? Jesus, he wasn't denying that he was, no, that he was good. He wasn't saying, I'm, 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 I'm no good. He was challenging the young man to think through what he was saying. If you're calling me good, then is it that you're calling me God? A word means what its root word means. Okay? A word means what its root word means. Um, if no one is good but God, what is the root word of good? The root word of God, of, of good, is actually God. That's where we get the word good. It actually, the root word is God. God's actually the root word of good. We understand what is good is, uh, you know, we, is when we un understand who God is. Our word for good, its root word is God. So therefore, the way we understand what is good is by knowing who God is. What does God say? What does God do? A man by the name of Steve Dace of the Steve Dace Show really, I think, brought some light for me on this. He says, uh, good and godly used to be actually direct synonyms, you know. They used to mean the, the, the same thing. And he said, a word, you know, a word is what its root is. So if we look at the word, for example, um, conservatism, it means to conserve. <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? Conservatism means to conserve. What are we trying to conserve? And this is what my father was trying to teach me. What are we trying to conserve? If we're going to, if conservatism is so important, then what is it that we're trying to conserve? We are conserving, quoting Steve Dace, 
Listen closely because this is very, very good. We are conserving what history has revealed. What the author and finisher of history has revealed throughout time to be good and true and beautiful. When mankind holds to what God says is good, we are then able to avoid complete destruction and instead flourish as best we can in a fallen and sinful world. Boy, that is worth writing down. I'm going to say it again because I, it's, it's really a good thought. It's a really a good truth. We are conserving what history has revealed, what the author and the finisher of history has revealed throughout time to be good and true and beautiful. When mankind holds to what God says is good, we are then able to avoid complete destruction and instead flourish as best we can in a fallen and sinful world. So, in other words, loved loved ones, is this. Oops, I went went too far. Um, Only what God says is good, that is what is truly good. Because the root word of good is God. It's not what our culture says is good. So our aim is to conserve the good of God. It's not about being Republicans. It's not about being Democrat. It's about living your life in such a way that I want to conserve what I know is good. That brings life to our society. That brings life to our culture. That brings the light of God. The truth of God to our nation. Amen. Amen. So our aim is to conserve the good of God. That's what pure conservatism is. Heaven is one of those good things God has revealed to us. It's the place where the eternal life of God shines forever and uh, in the glory of God. You know, it's interesting as we think about this dilemma of culture against God and um, Culture actually thinks that it is right. You talk to anybody in that, on, that, on that side of it, and they'll, they really do think that, hey, it's, it's right. It's right for us to have many genders. It's right for us to teach children about have sex education and first grade and talk about homosexuality and teach them about uh, transgenderism and all those things. They really think it's right. They really think. It's because, I mean, they... They don't agree with God. That's why. They don't agree with God. They say, God, what we say is right. What you say is wrong. (laughs) Well, heaven is one of those good things that God has revealed to us that we need to definitely conserve the the truth, the the reason uh, for our focusing on it daily. It's a place where the eternal life of God shines forever in the glory of God. The beast system, loved ones, would have us to forget about this very good place and the things God has provided for us through his son Jesus, uh, through his death, through his resurrection. And the way they do it, the way the beast system tries to do it, to allow the temporary trappings of this world to really steal away our interest in God and to blind our eyes to make us so busy doing the temporary things that we forget about the things that really matter the eternal things that matter that's going to get us to heaven 
That's what, how the beast, you know, the beast kind of tries to de-emphasize heaven and emphasize the things around us, the temporary things around us. To steal our interest, uh, you know, from, and blind our eyes to the certain judgment and the destruction that this present earth and the system is going to, is going to, uh, is going to experience. We saw last Sunday that God, um, who is never wrong, he calls his children to focus on heaven now as well as, and well, not just something we're going to experience in the future. It's a living hope now. Like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we looked at them last week briefly. He calls us to focus on a celestial city who, you know, whose builder, whose maker is God. And our focus is sharpened when we prioritize also being those pilgrims and strangers uh, in this world, you know. We've talked about that in you know, previous Sundays, how that, that we're called to be pilgrims and strangers here in this, in this world. We, don't, we shouldn't consider it our home, that our home is yet to come. And that's why that song is true. This old world is not my home. What? I'm, I'm just passing through. Yeah, that song is true. Loved ones, heaven must be the overall theme of the child of God, or he's going to lose his way. Say, but PD, won't we uh, become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good? I got to tell you something. We are long ways from that. <laughs> if that ever becomes a problem, uh, I well, I don't think that will become a problem. Okay, yeah. If we close our spiritual eyes and we don't focus on going going to heaven, we'll get our eyes on something else that's going to lead us astray. Have you ever tried to close your eyes? Close your eyes and try to walk in place. You ever tried that? I've tried that before because, you know, Becky and I, we, we exercise daily. And one of my exercises is doing that kind of stuff. And uh, I've tried it before where I close my eyes. I'm going to do my best to close my eyes and see if I can just march in the, in the same place. You never can. You're always turned sideways or something. You're always off, you know. You're going a different direction. Because you've got to keep your eyes open so you can keep your legs going the right direction. And that's the way it is with our hearts, too. We got to keep our focus on the Lord. We got to keep our focus on heaven, or we're going to get sidetracked in this earth doing things that's going to disqualify us for heaven. We got to be careful. We gotta, that's why heaven is, is good, it's worth conserving. It's worth the effort, whatever it takes, you know, to sacrifice the, 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 the price, you know, whatever we got to do to keep our eyes focused. On heaven, Jesus. Remember, he said that in uh, what is it, Matthew six twenty four. He said, "Hey, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or uh, you know you're going to be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Mammon. And and Mammon is all of our material stuff. Our it's our it's our jobs. It's our money. It's our possessions. It's our anything we own." He said, "All of us have Mammon. All of us do." He said, so mammon is dangerous to us because it can distract us from heaven. He said, uh, you know, you're either going to love God with all your heart or you're going to love your mammon. Um, I have to really focus on that myself. That my mammon, I have more mammon than probably, probably I need. My mammon is, is uh, all of us have mammon. We have to deal with, we have to have mammon. Got to have money to buy stuff, to buy, you know, to, you know, to, you know, I have to have a pickup truck so I can go get some manure to stand in Jody's house, put on my garden. You know, that's mammon. You know, there's things you got to have, you know, 
And yet, those, that old truck of mine can actually be a distraction if I let it. You know? I like pickup trucks. <laughs> I do. You guys, Becky, I, I'm always looking at them. You know? I, uh, anyway. You know, it can really be a... It can, and all of us have to have... We all have mammon. And so we have to balance it. We have to make sure... I look at mammon this way. It's kind of like holding a stick of dynamite here and a lit match here. <laughs> I have to make sure that I keep these things apart here. I, if, I, if, I, if I get distracted, my mammon's going to take over. And you're going to blow up on me. It's, and then blow up on my spirit, upon my, my life. And so... Um, we have to stop and think, think about this. Remember, Jesus talked about that foolish farmer who had so much crops. He said, I gotta, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then that night, he, he died. And, and God called him a fool because he said, now, you're never Dean. Think about me, did you? You're just thinking about your big barns and your good life here. You didn't think about heaven. Jesus tells that story. You know that. Loved ones, when you stop to think about it, our Creator is concerned that you and I make it to heaven. That his word is so loaded down. I, I, I thought about this. His word is so loaded, even weighed down with just multiple warnings and, and encouragements about staying on the way. About staying uh, focused, not getting sidetracked. Um, you know, all the way from the parables. Remember the, the virgins and, the, and their, and their uh, ha- having enough oil to keep their lamps lit? I mean, he does it all kinds of ways. To his anger with that spiritual hypocrisy that the, that, the, that the Pharisees were exhibiting. And then, of course, there's this one in Revelation that is just so very blatant. It says, blessed are those who do his commandments that, that they may have the right to the tree of life, which is in heaven, of course, and may enter through the gates into that city. <laughs> but outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and sexually immoral, the murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. The people who don't love God, the people who don't do his commands, the people who say God does evil things or he's what he says is evil. What, what makes heaven so valuable that we want to actively, actively pursue it every day? It's our delight. And we, you know, um, how, how can we delight in it so much? We don't even know what it looks like. Um, we don't even have we, have, we have no idea. But what is it about heaven that makes it so good and such a treasure worth conserving, worth sacrificing for? Loved ones, it's, it's because God our Father, it's because Jesus Christ, it's because they are there. You say, well, PD, uh, God's omnip- he's omnipresent. He, he's everywhere. I, I know. He's here with us today by, by his spirit. He, he's invisible, but we know he's here. We know by, by faith, we know God, God is here. The Bible teaches us that. But you know... <clears throat> That's, that's correct, and that just, that's wonderful. But this isn't exactly the way to say it, but I think it'll help us, it'll make it plain to us. God is here now, but he is more in heaven for us to see and to understand. He's here but he's there more. In heaven, we're going to see him as he is, the Bible tells us. And we're going to know him 
Even as we are known, remember what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians, what a wonderful verse. He said, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We're going to see God face to face. Now we can only see him dimly. We can't really see him very well. He's obscured. He's, he's, he's kind of vague, uh, even though we have much truth about him. You know, uh, the, in, in Paul's day, uh, the way they made mirrors, it wasn't anything like our mirrors today. In Paul's day, the way they made a mirror is they would take a piece of, of bronze or copper or, or brass and they'd have to polish it. They'd shine it, they'd polish it, polish it, and then it would get shiny and you might be able to see your reflection a little bit, but ladies, you would hate it for putting on makeup. You, you could not see very clearly. You kind of saw your image. It was vague, you know, but it, and that's what Paul is saying. Right now, we, we see through a mirror that's really dim. When we think about the world to come, our thoughts are kind of clouded because we don't know so much. That's how we see heaven now. We, we, we know it's there, but it's a vague image. And let once Paul says that our knowledge and our experience with God is actually incomplete right now. Listen to me. It's actually incomplete and only partial right now. Even though we have the Bible, even though we have the Holy Spirit, even though we have our spiritual gifts, we only have a small glimpse of God. Listen to me. We only have a small glimpse of him. We only have a small sampling of him, if you will. Paul's trying to explain to us in uh, this here. He's trying to explain this to the Corinthian church. He said in Romans, I think I got this scripture up here for you. He said, Romans, he said, he said, uh, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For we can know the Lord. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Man, I tell you, in heaven, we shall see God face to face and know him. This is what Paul says. We'll know him just like he knows us completely now. God knows us right now through and through. Paul says when we get there, we're going to know God too. Like that. that Paul, he, he's not saying that when we get to heaven, we're going to instantly know everything about God. Because we're going to still be finite there. We're going to still be learning about God forever. But he's saying this, you know, he's saying this, that at the moment that we see him, we shall know the brilliance. Oh, this is wonderful. We shall know the brilliance and the wonder of his good love and purpose and grace that worked in our lives throughout all the dark and terrible hardship times that we've had to suffer here in this foreign land. We'll see it. We'll know him. We'll, and suddenly his grace will be revealed like, like David, this, all those times, this is what my grace was doing in your life through all those terrible, discouraging times down on earth in that foreign territory. And you'll suddenly see it. Because you've seen him face to face and it'll just come to you. And that you'll, you know his plan, you know his will, you know his grace in Jesus that has happened for you in your life. And, and just as clearly, just as much as God knows us now, Paul says. And uh, whew, it reflects what that song is saying. We'll talk it over in the by and by. You know, we'll talk it over in the by and by. I'll ask the reason and he'll... Tell me why. It's not going to take that long. I think as soon as we see him, we're going to say, well, kind of like C.S. Lewis said, as soon as we see God, we're going to, we're going to think about all of our trials and troubles and everything, and we're going to say, well, of course. <laughs> of course that's why it happened. God knew that I'd have to, he had to bring me through that particular way to get me here. His, God's, his plans for us are that individual. 
Amen. Amen. I hope you understand what I'm trying to tell you today. His wonder and love will, will pour over us and through us, and we will know instantly that He has not only done all things well in our lives, but He has done them marvelously well. Amen. Revelation here, in this last, this last verse here, I'm going to share with you. He said, that, I heard a loud voice from heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself will be with them in heaven, with them, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You know, there's going to be something that's going to happen where God's going to, he's going to remove everything. We're going to understand why we've gone through, why we've had to fight so hard, why we've had to labor so hard in this world, you know, to, to maintain our faith in Jesus Christ, our, our, to, to keep our allegiance to God, to stay determined. We're going to understand it there. And he's going to wipe away all those, things, all those, all those pains from those things. There's going to be no more pain. The former things have passed away. Let me close with this. There's three great adventures in the, in the Christian life. And uh, we're going to talk about this next week. There's three great adventures in the Christian life. And Apostle Paul tells us about them here in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. The first great adventure in the Christian's life is that time you first heard God call you. We didn't really know to call it that. We didn't know, we didn't understand to mean that. But it, that's what it really was, where God convicted us of our sins. We felt our life was empty. We, we knew we were going to face his judgment or something got our attention. But well, we thought, we've got, we've got to get right with God. That's a calling. The second, the second thing Paul says that happened is that he justifies us. He, he forgives us of our, of our sins. He forgave us of our sins, transformed us from darkness to light. And the third thing is he promised to glorify us. Loved ones, I think probably for most of us in here, we've gone through one and two. I know that joy of the calling. I know that joy of the transformation. I'm still looking forward to that joy of the glorification. That's what we've been talking about. That glorification takes place in heaven. That's why I don't want to miss that. I, I want to keep heaven as my focus. I hope you do too. Tell you, that's, uh, our understanding now is just, just partial. But our next great adventure is to be glorified. And that will be something beyond our ability to even comprehend now. So let's, let's remember. Lord, use Mount Hope for your glory. And I promise you that if you make that your prayer, it will be impossible for you not to keep heaven as your focus. Let's pray. Lord, today we are once again grateful, so grateful for uh, the light that you bring to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for making complicated things easier to understand. We thank you, Lord, for the, the help you give us from the Holy Spirit as well as fellow Christians who, who uh, encourage us and bring us understanding and, and uh, Lord, and, and um, who point out things that need to be changed maybe in our life. Lord, we, we thank you for good Christian family, good Christian friends. And we thank you for this wonderful reminder to stay focused on heaven. We know that if we're following you, if we we're walking with you. The Holy Spirit reminds us all the time because he is our guarantee of what's to come. Reminds us all the time that we're on our way there. We're in a foreign land here. We're a stranger. We're a pilgrim. We don't belong here. We're just here to glorify our Savior and trying to win other people to the Christ, to Christ as well. Lord, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us today. I pray, Lord, you encourage your people 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Let's stand together and, and uh, give someone a good handshake or a good hug and encourage someone today.